Welcome to episode 19 of the Rex Chapman Show with super cool, super awesome Josh Hopkins. That's me. Man, uh, episode 19. Yeah, what's right. that? Who's that? Who's, yeah, a I, good, who's a big 19? That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't think I know any. Well, I know yeah. one because I cheated, but no. Will's Reed. Ah, yeah. I don't know that I could name another 19. Yeah, Will's Reed, that's... That's the best one. So it's got to be football player. That's a big nineteen. Somebody like Johnny Unitas, like that. Somebody like that. Somebody like that would maybe. have been a big nineteen. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Sounds about so, right. Where are you? Uh, I'm in New York, New York oh. City. Yep. I uh, flew up, went to the ball game in Milwaukee last uh-huh. night. Flew to New York today. Got to do a little something in the city tomorrow, and then flying back to Milwaukee for Game Four. I'm not going to miss uh-huh. that. Living the um, life, living yeah. the life. What happened to your sons in game three, pal? Not very sharp. You know, I think that that first finals road game uh, was a little bit of a shock to the system for, for a few of our, our guys. They'd never played our guys. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Mm-hmm, our guys mm-hmm. or my guys, uh, the right. sons. I think that uh, they'll come back with a better effort. They'll have to in game four. Um, I thought Devin settled maybe a little, uh, a little too often early on in the game. He played awfully hard. It was a, it was a terrific environment. Really happy for that fan base. You know, I, I wore my sun shirt in there, uh, cheered loudly for the Suns at times, and everyone couldn't have been nicer in that building. It was very oh, competitive, great. very a very fun atmosphere. And it's just good to be back in a you know, building with, with fans, people all around. It was, it was fun. Uh, but sons are going to have to come, come with it. Cause Giannis is going to get better and better. His wind was really, you could tell kind of sitting down there close that he was really winded in the first two games, uh, or the, or the second game, uh, really winded. And then, um, last night he looked just fine. So he, if he doesn't have any lingering effects, the longer this series goes, the better he's probably going to get. Yeah, well, we all know he's a problem. <laughs> yes, he is. He is. And there, are, there are, we're. I said it last night. I think in a tweet, they're a really hard team to dislike. The Bucks. Giannis is two-time MVP and doesn't mug for the camera. Drew Holiday, you know, has donated millions of dollars over the last year throughout the pandemic. He and his wife, uh, Chris Middleton. He just kind. Of, he kind of like Joe Dumars to me in that he'll just bust your ass and be real nice about it the whole time. So they're, they're just a fun team. You know, I, I, I hate that they won last night, but son's got to snap back into shape. And uh, how get for. fun is it for you? I mean, these, here's two cities starving for it. Haven't had it and just ready to a coordination, both places. It's like just fire. And you're at, you're at those games. I, know. I mean, that's more than if it was in LA or whatnot. I mean, it's electric at these games. I mean, it's had been so much fun. It is. And, you know, two smaller market kind of teams, you know, Phoenix is a decently big city, but, but, but very similar fan bases, you know, um, they're just rabid basketball fans. You know, the Phoenix Suns, obviously now they have the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals, the Coyotes, but the Suns are kind of the Valley's baby. You know, they feel Mm -hmm. like that's their baby. Uh, mm-hmm. The first pro team in the in the in the region. So and the Bucks, much the same, you know, never won a title or not since, you know, Kareem um, years and years ago. So uh, I'm excited for both 
for both teams, both franchises. I'm excited for Richie Cunningham and Fonzie. I bet yeah. they're loving this. Yeah, yeah. Well, Potsy was never Potsy a big basketball Ralph, fan. He never Ralph, played. Ralph Mouth, you know. Yeah. You were kind of Ralph Mouth. I could see that in high school, weren't you? You were Ralph. I was kind of more Potsy because I'd, I'd also sing. Yeah. Potsy would sing. I was Fonzie. <laughs> hey. only, only because I couldn't say I'm sorry. I can't say it. Because I'm yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, also, when you, when you do that, hey. chicks come running. Hey. Yeah. yeah. I'm, so, I'm of Fonzie. I digress here. Uh, I, want to, I want to talk about the USA basketball team. Lost to Nigeria. What do you make of that? I don't make much of it, really. Um, you know, I know it was kind of electric on the on the Twitterverse and social media-wise over the weekend, but um, that's an NBA team. they got a roster full of NBA players that are play big minutes in NBA rotation, so I don't know that it's that big of a stretch. It was an exhibition game. Our guys obviously didn't fire their best shot. However, getting beat like that, is embarrassing for our guys. And I would expect all of our guys to bounce back with, you know, a more workmanlike effort uh, come next game. It is amazing though, how quickly the world has caught up. No doubt about it. In some senses. I mean, they're not, but every, every team we play is going to have a lot of NBA guys on it. You know, that, that aren't scared. They're not scared like they used to be. Yeah. and, And you make a really good point, Josh, the, there's great basketball being played all over the world. Our NBA right now allows, doesn't allow for physical defense. And in other parts of the world, in FIBA, um, they play a different, they play a, uh, the game still spread more wide open, but it's officiated way differently. And you gotta, you know, our guys are going to have to get used to being held and grabbed. You know, we know we can do it. We just can't, you know, our guys aren't allowed to do it in the NBA, so they're going to have to kind of catch up and get used to the more physical game. I, I know we right. can be more physical, but we're just, just going to have to get used to how FIBA calls the game. I'm going to read out the uh, the everybody on the team, the players here, and and for, I, it's I love the way they do now. They don't just put the all the top scorers on. Yeah, you learn that's no good. Right. You know, they've got player Draymond and people mm-hmm. that do things that that a team needs, but just this roster sounds weird to me in a lot of ways. One is just because there's a passing of the guard. It's just like yeah. LeBron's not on it. Yeah, you know, it's like, it. but you got Bam out of Io, Beal. Yep. Oh, also, why I say this, I want you to say these. I want to want you to say these guys' true position. Okay. As I say it, okay. Right. Like, yeah. Bam. Four. Okay, we got Bradley Beal. Two. Okay. Uh, Devin Booker. Two. Kevin Durant. Three. Jeremy Grant. Four. Drew Holiday. Two, three. Draymond. Four. Zach Levine. One, two, but more two. Mm -hmm. Dame Lillard. One. Kevin Love. Four, probably Chris five. Chris Middleton. Middleton. Chris is a three-four, but probably for international a three. Jason Tatum. Two, three, four. Okay, there was only one guy on there that 
you said is, is a one. one. Yeah. I mean, I just yeah. think that's a little weird. What Dame goes, say he sprains an ankle. Yeah. You know, what, what do they do? I mean, well, don't get me wrong. Yeah. They have a lot of guys that can, you know, they're yeah. pros, but it just seems odd, odd that they wouldn't have another pure point guard, a pure ball handler on the team. I think that's a, that's a valid argument. Um, I also think that, you know, we're making too much of them getting beat by Nigeria. I think that we'll go take care of business. We got to have enough ball handlers on that team to get, get guys into offense and enough leaders on the team to get guys where they need to go. That team is crazy uh, talented. And, you know, it's like our guy, John Calipari says, you need, need kind of positionless players now. And that's what those guys are. I mean, yes, we have, we, there was only like one or two guys that were said, it, you know, he's, he's definitely that. I think that, you know, we've got guys with versatility. KD can play anywhere one through five, really. Uh, you know, Draymond's not going to shoot, but he's going to get guys into position. Um, yeah, and then Zach Levine. I, I've often said I would like for Zach Levine to play alongside a, a, a real one, you know, right. somebody right. that can just get him the ball. But Dame's not really that player. You know, he's more of a scorer. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think I think that team's going to be really good. Of course they are. I mean, yeah. they're, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about them. And I don't have the reaction because of that Nigeria game. That That's what I thought the roster was a tiny bit odd yeah. before. Yeah. It just seems like it's, I don't know, they'd have one more pure point and a pure point that really isn't a score first guy. Yeah. You know, with guys getting a little bit older and taking care of their bodies, guys like LeBron being out, guys like Stefan not doing it anymore. I'm happy that somebody like KD did. You know, he, right. a guy oh, who yeah. came off Achilles surgery, you know, so I'm I'm appreciative that he he's decided to play in this. And that's what I love about Katie. He just loves to play, you know, just yeah. likes to show up and play. Uh, Josh. Yeah. Guess who we have today? Who? We have a guy you probably have cussed out a lot watching basketball uh, hmm. over the years. We have J.J. Redick. <laughs> Ah, JJ Redick. I love that guy. I'm sorry. I can't I know. him out. He's been it. playing forever. He just looks the same as he did his sophomore year at Duke. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to talk to him. I can't either. He's uh, he, what? Did you read anything this week for book club? Oh, you know what? A lot of traveling. I didn't. I, I didn't get around to anything. Did you? No, I didn't read anything. That's been book club. Back to JJ. So, yeah. so what have you? Uh, I mean, he's one of the greatest pure shooters ever yeah. right yeah i mean runs 18 miles a game around i mean he just runs people ragged you know he was supposed to you know people didn't know if he was gonna pan out or not you know he went through a couple bumpy years in orlando but he's carved out a career that i'm i'm just so happy for him um you know he he works as hard as anybody does he's got his he got his body in shape kind of reminds me of Steve Nash going through his growth as a young player. Steve at some point had to look around and be like, you know what? I better start eating right, taking better care of my body because I got to make myself as athletic as I can be in this crazy athletic league. And JJ did that like right from the get go. So um, he's put in all the work and I'm excited to talk to this little dookie. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's get to it. Let's go. Let's go. JJ Reddick. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks to both of you guys for having me on. Uh, excited to hear when I heard that Rex was getting his own podcast. I was I was stoked for this. So I figured at some point I'd 
I'd get the invite and, and be able to, to come on the show and impart what little knowledge I have. Uh, but no, this is great, man. I'm, I'm excited about this. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I got a million questions for you. I, I, I was going to ask, can we make this like a four hour to do that time to do that? Because uh, no, but before we start any basketball, anything, you are an accomplished podcaster. Old man in the three. Uh, uh, before that, you had the podcast for years, right? Since the bubble. Uh, yeah. Old man in the three has been going and you were on that Rex, weren't you? I he was, was on the, the previous iteration, the previous. Rex, okay. but we were in the bubble when we recorded. We were finishing up. We, so a little background. I did about uh, 40 episodes with Yahoo in 2016. I took a, basically a year off. I did three seasons with The Ringer. I ended up doing about 60 episodes with them. Uh, there was one random episode with Uninterrupted uh, called The Chronicles of Reddick. Uh, right after I signed with Philly. Uh, but yeah, so I did a hundred episodes. Uh, we, we, we started our own uh, podcast company, 342 Productions. We launched from the bubble and uh, we are, I mean, I don't even know. I think later today we're recording our 65th episode. So we're, wow. we're rolling, man. We're rolling. And we're not even, you know, we're not even a year into it. We're, we're basically 11 months into it. Well, so that being said, we're relatively new to this. We got sort of a similar I love your pod, by the way. We got sort of a similar setup where we got Rex and I'm his, you know, Paul Schaefer over here. And uh, you, what's your advice to us as, as oh, young advice. podcasters? Yeah. yeah. What, what, you know, what so there's there's a couple of things. Number one, when there's two hosts, when there's a host and a co-host, uh, you got to figure out that dynamic, you know. And Tommy and I, when we first started at The Ringer, it took like, 10 or 15 episodes for us to sort of figure out the dynamic. Um, so that's the first thing. We actually, when we do the Zooms, I go into uh, where you can do chat and I go to, to Tommy Alter and I'll send him notes. So he's gotten really good when I'm, let's say I'm, I'm, I got a basketball guy. I got DeMar DeRozan on and we're breaking down side pick and rolls. Tommy knows He's not really going to add any value to that part of the conversation. So he's gotten really good at like, all right, these guys are deep diving on a basketball thing. I'm going to let this go. And then I'll kind of text him, hey, man, you know, it's time to pivot. You, you take the lead on the next topic. And, and we kind of go that way. The other thing, the other thing I see you've got my other piece of advice. Uh, when guests give answers, it's a podcast. It's long form. So they may say something early on in their answer that you want to come back to. But then they may say two or more, two more things in their answer that you want to go back to. So being able to sort of take notes in real time and then respond organically to the answer of the question, that to me is what podcasting is. And the third piece of advice, I always have a glass of water with me. I always got a glass of water. That's great advice. That's great advice. I got a jug advice. of it. I got a jug of it. I'm doing pretty I got, well. I mean, I got that's a, some great advice. I got a little bit. There you um, go. There you go. Man. JJ, uh, we were just talking about this before uh, before you came on. Um, I met you in college. Do you, yes. do you remember? We talked about this on your pod, but for the listeners, tell them uh, about our first meeting. Yeah, so uh, Rex was working for the Suns at the time. This was the fall of 04, and I was coming off one of the hardest years of my life. This past season was probably either <laughs> – number two or the hardest <laughs> season of my life. But my sophomore year at Duke, for a lot of different reasons, basketball-wise, uh, you know, personally, and I had gotten in unbelievable shape. 
And Rex came down in October. It was right before, I think, either our first or second game uh, against Tennessee Martin, I think it was. And we came to a practice, and we, we went up in the stands afterwards, and we chatted for about 15 or 20 minutes. And, like, it was great. But I just – the thing, the sticking point for me was, like, he's like, I know you can shoot, but can you get, get down and guard somebody in the post? Can you be physical with somebody in the post? And I'm like, you know, I'm a wiry. I didn't even lift weights at this point in my life, but I'd lost like literally like 30 pounds. So I'm like 190, just all fucking bone and lean muscle. I'm like, I don't know, Rex. I, I don't know. Like, am I going to go guard LeBron in the post next year? I don't know. Yeah, probably not. I don't know. <laughs> get the matchup we want. Let's get the matchup we want. That's you could have right. then. LeBron just, was I, probably in second grade. <laughs> LeBron and I are the same age, Josh. LeBron really? and I are the same age. Yeah, I'm are you really? About, yeah, I'm six months older than LeBron. Yeah, he's a. That's amazing. Yeah, he's a December. I'm June, so I just turned 37. So Bron will be 37 in December. Yeah. Wow. So you. That's amazing. Rex, how when, how long did you how long did you play till? What was your last year in the league? Uh, 2000. And how old were you in 2000? 32. 32. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I came in at 19. Yeah. And so, but I, I mean, I, I would have loved to play at 37, man. And you say that like 37 and I think, all right, well, Chris Paul and you know, there's other guys now there were not, there were not guys our size right, or smaller that were playing into their late thirties at the time, you know, Stockton. you signed a stock yeah, like the anomaly right, there, John. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how long, how much longer are you going to play? That's up in the air. That's up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing for me these last few weeks and, and really probably through August is, is, uh, is just being with my family. You know, I, I think a lot of people know this and anybody who listens to my podcast knows this, but um, you know, I left the day after Thanksgiving and I came back June 7th and my family was in Brooklyn the entire time. They came down in New Orleans twice, and and uh, and then they were they came for a weekend in Dallas. So I, basically, three times during the season, I got to see them. Obviously, over All Star break, I got to see them as well. But um, you know, it, look, my boys are six and four. They'll be seven and five next month. They're at that sweet spot age, man, where every yeah. day it's something new. It's fun. My little one, the littlest, he's got a personality. Like he's just he's awesome to be around. I took him golfing the other day. He walked. We have a we have like a five hole par three course at my club, and we, he walked the course with me and I'm look, I, I need this time uh, yeah. to sort of clear my head from the season I just had and, and figure out how much longer I want to do this. You know, you're lucky. And, and you're lucky that this, this year, you know, a lot of guys go through that when they're young, you know, and young in the league and that you're experiencing this, you know, kind of bounced, bounced around here for a year or so this at this stage of your career and you still love it you still want to do it is is really a testament did you think you'd play this long i mean Hell did no. you ever think about Hell yeah, no. right Hell no. i look i remember uh you know early in my career and i remember saying this going into my senior year i did an interview with hoops hype uh it was during the u21 trials we were still in dallas we went ended up going to argentina i think we got like fifth place but um you know, they were asking me about next year and all my buddies had pretty much had left that year after our junior year, Rashad McCants, Ray right. Felton, Sean May, uh, Jared Jack, like all the guys that were in my high school class that hadn't either come out of school early or left right away their freshman year. Everybody was gone now. 
And they sort of asked me about what I thought I was going to be in the NBA. And I said, look, I'd be a role player like the other 90% of the NBA, 80% of the NBA, whatever it is. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to be a superstar. Um, but if you had told me 15 years ago that I'd, I'd, be, I'd have had the career and have over 12,000 points, I'd be top 15 all time and made threes, top 15 in three-point percentage, top – I think I'm top 10 in free throw percentage. Like, I've, I've done way more than I ever thought possible and done it for longer, too. The fact that – look, I, I, I had my best years from 30 on, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And some of that was, you know, some of that was hard work and some of it was just like getting lucky and being in the right place at the right time and, and signing with the Clippers when I did, signing with Philly when I did. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a hell of a ride, man. And to, to your point earlier, though, about loving the game, Rex, you know this. You, you've been around the league and you've been around basketball long enough. Like, you don't play 15 years in the NBA unless you absolutely love it because it's a great job. But there's some bullshit that comes with this job. Yeah. There's some yeah. bullshit. So the love of the game has to outweigh the rest. And, uh, and for me, it has. It always has. What's the bullshit that you ate the most? Uh, sitting in a hotel. The thought of sitting in a fucking hotel room on a game day with nothing to do in. I'm, I'm not disparaging a city here, so I'll name a good city. Sitting in a hotel room in Miami on a game day while my family's, you know, a thousand miles away. That's the part as I've gotten older that yeah. I've hated. Um, you know, when I say the bullshit, look, like we are in a results oriented business that we now live in a culture that is just simply hot take after hot take. People are providing hot takes that they don't even believe. They're just doing it to fill airtime. The other day, like I love Donovan Mitchell, but Stephen A came out and said Donovan Mitchell's the greatest player in Utah Jazz yeah, franchise on. history. Like Stephen A doesn't fucking believe that. He doesn't believe that. He's just saying that. Somebody's telling him to say that. Like it's just so that's the bullshit. It's like constant and you can't escape it. I was off social media for two years uh, while I played with Philly and I had to get back on because of the podcast. Tommy kind of my co-host kind of convinced me to get back on. But I tell you what, I wasn't on social media. I still couldn't escape it. I still couldn't escape that part. You're constantly being scrutinized. I'd get in the car. I had a driver that would take me to and from, you know, Philly to Brooklyn. I'd get in the car and he's telling me stuff that the Philly, you know, sports radio guys are talking shit about me on the radio. I'm like, why are you telling this? I don't want to know this. <laughs> I don't. I'm trying to get away from this, man. Just give me two hours of silence here. Man, that has JJ. to be so difficult. <laughs> Just every right? day, because even back in, in your day, Rex, I mean, back when, you know, with Jesus and stuff, um, you probably, uh, there wasn't this hot take culture. There wasn't, and, and now it's yeah. not just, yeah, I like, he's pretty good. It's like, I hate LeBron. Jordan's the best, or Jordan's, a, and everyone has to have an opinion, and it's got to be not medium, especially in the, you know, <laughs> yes. the, you know, there's no down the lane. It's like, yeah, I think it could be. They've got to have, especially in the media, because now they need content because they have these shows on for hours where they debate things that are stupid to debate. But then America does it. That's what's happened in our politics. You know, yeah. now everybody has all this information like, he's stupid. No, you're stupid. Everyone is. <laughs> How can you possibly live your life with this culture being like that and being J.J. Reddick. Well, to that point, like some of that, some of it is clickbait. And, and, and I've even gotten, you know, I've seen this happen a million times. And, and I go on a podcast. Every time I go on a podcast, every time I host a podcast, I run the risk of, of 
being damned by the aggregate news cycle because mm -hmm. someone will take something you said, they'll take it out of context, it'll get ag aggregated, and before you know it, you're like, holy shit, that's not even, and I'll give you an example of this. Like, I actually, I knew I was gonna get backlash when I went on the podcast right after I got traded to Dallas, and I spoke, I didn't speak well of David Griffin. I knew I was gonna get backlash. But to see the reactions that people had, I'm like, oh fuck, I, I edited this down. It was 28 minutes. I edited it down to eight because I wanted to take a lot of stuff out that I didn't think was pertinent. I kept it super simple. So I went and re-listened re to it, re-listened to it again. I'm like, man, how did we get from what I said to where we are, where people are reacting this a certain way? I mean, I, I was crystal clear. Like it, it was, so that's, you run the risk of that. The reaction part, I'll give you an example of this. Everything now with the hot take culture, everything is so reactionary, right? You, 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 NBA Twitter is so much fun. I enjoy it so much, but it's so reactionary. I, I, I think back to game one of the Nets Bucks series, you know, game one, and I'm, I'm reading my timeline as Brooklyn, you know, Harden goes down, but they're, they're beating the shit out of the Bucks in game one. And it's like, Bud's getting fired. Giannis made the wrong decision. <laughs> Uh, True yeah. Holiday's not better than Bledsoe. You know, it's like, guys, guys, it's yeah. a seven-game series for a mm -hmm. fucking reason. It's yeah. a seven-game series. And then, you know, look, Bucks are, in the, Bucks are in the finals. Bucks are in the finals, you know? Um, you know, obviously, some of this, that's an example of, you know, Kyrie getting hurt. Some of this whole playoffs thing has been dictated by who's been injured. But even the Phoenix series with L.A., you know, I can't remember which game it was, but it was like, oh, Phoenix is done. I think it was after game three. Phoenix is done. Yeah. You know? And then 80s, not 100 percent. LeBron's really not 100 percent. Here we are. Sons and Bucks. Let's go. Let's do it. Do you remember a time, JJ, do you remember a time in your career where you saw, uh, you know, say, I don't know, 2011, the Internet and just the vitriol? Do you remember there being a tipping point? Uh, in, in your career where it, it, it sort of changed? I, I think how we, how we use and how we interact with these apps is constantly evolving. Like we can all remember a time, if you were on Twitter at the start, like Twitter was actually really fun. It was fun there for a couple of years. Uh, Instagram, I still love it. I, I don't really post a lot. I post on my store. I don't really post a lot on my, on my feed, but I follow uh, you know, travel blogs. I follow architects. I follow artists. I follow winemakers. I like, like I enjoy it, but the, that clickbait reactionary, I mean, you guys know the, 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 the accounts that feed into this cycle, like Instagram has become that. Um, I think you know, I started using Instagram in 2012, summer of 2012. It was such a safe space, man. You just post something on your feed. Like you're not getting trolls in your comments. You're not getting bots in your comments. <laughs> um, and, and so the whole thing has changed, but it certainly it's, it's social media, but look, Rex, you, I'm sure you remember this too. Like, you know, before social media, before Reddit, there were online forums and, you know, my dad used to, my dad used to read <laughs> like all the ACC forums. Like he would go on other fan bases. There was a UVA yeah. one. There was a Carolina Bad idea. one. Um, yeah, I, I got a great, I got a, a great story. So my dad, so my my best friend, one of my best friends from high school, ended up playing uh, as as far as AAA and, and made a forty man roster, but never got called up. But he was an All American for Clemson pitcher. 
So my sophomore year, he's he was a junior. It was his last year at Clemson. He came over to pitch at UNC. So me and some fellows went. We brought a case of beer. We didn't know you couldn't drink at the baseball game. So we we pulled the beer out on a picnic table. We're just you know sipping on some some natty lights or whatever we were drinking at the time. And uh, a, a official at the park came over and they're like, "Hey guys, you know we're on campus. You can't drink here." We're like, "All right, no worries, great." We go over. We sit down. My buddy strikes out. 13 and eight innings he wins the game we go home I don't think anything of it my dad calls me the next morning he's like hey man did you get arrested last night <laughs> and I'm like no not that I remember I mean I'm I'm in my dorm right now and he's like he's like uh yeah no because uh on the UNC message board it said you got arrested at the baseball game wow jeez <laughs> wow <laughs> That's just crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just it, it was nothing. Yeah, we should talk more about college. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to go are, back a little further. Uh, Hold on, because I want to uh, know before we get to Duke, which we could spend hours on. Uh, when when you're growing up, we, we've talked to some hand-eye athletes on here so far, including Steph, Steve Kerr, and I. I want. When did you know? Because you're obviously just God-gifted hand-eye. Yeah. Unbelievable athlete. You've had to work on all aspects, but that's a God given, you know, hand eye, you, you can get better. But when did you know you're like, I'm different than everyone? When were you like, oh, look, I win at darts every time? Like, uh, I, I didn't know I was different at the time because I didn't have any memory. But my, my dad says when I was a kid, um, he just would give me hammer and nails. Like I was two and the motherfuckers given me real hammers and real nails, not like the Fisher price stuff. Um, he's like, no, you were great. I felt it was safe. My dad's like, a, he's a handyman. He's a gardener. He was a pot potter at the time. So he did everything with his hands. So he's like, oh, I'll let JJ do it. You know, whatever. Uh, I actually, he had a tile table that was inherited from his grandmother and I smashed it to bits. So I, there was a period of time where he, he didn't let me have the hammer. But I, so I like my, my dad says, I, I you know, and it, look, I was like, you know, in baseball, t-ball, whatever, I was the best player. Uh, basketball, it took maybe a year or two longer. By the time I was 11 or 12, I was the best player on my team and the best player in my area. Um, and, you know, that was pre sort of pre growth spurt. And so really the eighth grade is when I was like, oh, you know, at that time now I'm also I'm done growing or just about done growing. I'm six, three, I weigh 150 pounds. Uh, but, I, you know, I could shoot the shit out of the ball and, you know, was was decent, decently athletic enough. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to be pretty good at this sport. Like, I, I think I can play Division One. That was sort of the, the first goal was, you know, Division One uh, after my freshman year of high school when I started getting division one offers, including Wake Forest and ACC school, wow. the goal changed a little bit, you know, the goal yeah. changed a little bit. It was then like, all right, I'm gonna try to go to Duke. I want to be a McDonald's all American. Um, and, and, but no, I, I think, I think eighth grade for me, basketball wise, that's when I was like, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm different than the, the other kids that I'm, I'm, I'm competing against. But like you said, McDonald's all American, you, you achieved that, but then you were like MVP of the game. Did you, mm -hmm. Was there a moment in that time where you're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm here at the McDonald's. I'm the MVP. <laughs> like, was there, were you like, holy shit, I, I'm better than I think maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's weird. Cause the mindset was so different back then uh, than what 
so I, I was my NBA draft class was the first draft class where high school kids couldn't come out. And I had grown up a Duke fan. And so my mindset was like, I'm going to go to Duke for four years. I'm going to try to win as many national championships as possible. And I want to be the all time leading scorer. Like that was my mindset. I, the thought of like leaving early or even going out of high school. Like I think most kids, if they had been MVP of the McDonald's game, they would have been like, Oh, I, I'd be in the league in a year, you know, or I'll be in the league in two months, whatever. Uh, Amari, of course, you know, entered the draft right, right away. Carmelo, uh, from that game, uh, took a year of college and then left. Um, but no, it was just mindset. Like I, I remember those practices even more so than the games. We did a week of practices. Um, I think it was at basketball city, but we did a week of practices in New York and there were pro scouts everywhere. Uh, and I, I had, I literally, I, I tore my plantar fascia in the state semifinals and played oh. in the state finals. So I really hadn't played basketball in like two weeks leading up to that week. And I was like a little nervous, like, am I even going to be good? And then like, I, I played great in the practices and that gave me even more you know, confidence mm -hmm. than the game because the game, look, the game is like, I, who knows how much you're going to play. Uh, is Carmelo going to, going to hijack the situation and, and shoot every <laughs> shot like he did in the, in the Capitol classic a week later. <laughs> I've given, just so you know, I've given Melo shit about this. He I'm came sure. on my pod and I told him about this. He said he claims it's because he was home because, you know, the game okay. was in D.C. and he was close to, you know, he's a little sense. Motherfucker shot like 28 times. <laughs> <sighs> Hilarious. Uh, I, but to, 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 you know, if, to summarize what I'm, what I'm trying to say, like, you're, you're the, the, the goal line keeps changing, you know, um, yeah, because you keep achieving every goal. <laughs> well, <laughs> but but I, again, I think it's that it's just a, that growth mentality, and, and I think a lot of high achievers in any field they have that. You know, it's I think it's good to set goals. I don't necessarily set basketball goals anymore. I think it's more just about the diligence and the day to day maintenance. And all right, we're trying to get a little bit better each day, and if we do that, it'll sort of take care of itself. But you know, I I think high achievers what they do is they set a goal. They achieve it and they don't feel like they've arrived. They don't feel like they've made it. They feel like, oh, there's something else I need to do. I, I, I can be a little bit better. I can improve on the margins. And I feel like I've done that uh, as best I could. And obviously, you know, Rex was way more athletic than me, but within my own sort of athletic limitations, um, I think I've, I've achieved more than I ever thought possible. I'm, I'm with you. I, at what point did you – there? was it in the NBA or was it in college where you, you know, kind of looked around and went, all right, I got to get my body right. And I've got to be as athletic as I can yeah. be. Was that a, was there a conscious time that, that you remember? Uh, sure. There were two, there were two times. So the first time was after my sophomore year, which I kind of alluded to earlier, but I, mm -hmm. I basically the second semester of my sophomore season, I was, I was, an unofficial frat guy more than a Duke basketball player. And I regret that. And I, I, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a big learning experience. I hit rock bottom um, in May coach brought me into his office, coach Collins, coach, coach K Wojo. Uh, they brought me into his, in the, in the coach's office and they said, look, you can keep, you know, sort of living the way you're living. Um, and, we're not going to give you as much responsibility. You're not going to be in a leadership role. Um, you know, your playing time is going to be up and down. Um, or you can sort of commit to this and, and we'll see what can happen. And I remember specifically Coach Collins saying to me, 
He goes, you know, the sad thing is we'll never know how good you could be. The sad thing is we'll never know how good you can be. And that like, that stung a little bit. It also stung because coach said I wasn't, we didn't win a championship this year because <laughs> you weren't worthy to be a champion. And I was like, fuck man, Ooh, this guy really heavy. knows how to push my buttons. Yeah, this guy really heavy. knows how to push my buttons. Um, so that's summer. We didn't I, win because you're a dick. Whoa, <laughs> basically, whoa. basically, <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah, I mean like people ask me to coach K ever yell at you. I'm like, he, 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 in four years, he yelled at me one time. It was my freshman year and he, he called me the P word. And I, I was, I was definitely playing soft. We were playing Georgetown at home. I definitely was playing soft and I went out and I hooped in the second half and we won. And I don't think he ever yelled at me again. He just knew how to like, he knew how to like drop a little, little seed. And I'd be like, ah, that hurts deep. That hurts deep. So anyways, that, that summer, I, I had a few requirements. Uh, basically I had an hour schedule. I still have the sheet of paper with, with my entire schedule. I had a wake up time. I had, I had to check in with coach Collins in the morning. I had class study hall. I had running, lifting, uh, uh, basketball workouts. I had uh, uh, bedtime at whatever night, 9 PM lights out. And I just did that the whole summer cycle, 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 cycle. I walked around campus with a jug of water. I went from at my heaviest, I wasn't this heavy during the season, but I, I ballooned to 225. Wow. And I, and I started the season at 192. So what is that? 33 pounds. Yeah. 33 yeah. pounds uh, in the course of that summer. And that's when I got into the cardio part was like, Okay, this is how I got to play. I got to be, I got to be in better shape than everyone. I got to be able to run faster, harder, longer than everybody else in the court. So that was that part. After my second year in the NBA, my first year with Stan, I didn't play at all. And about halfway through the year, I was like, you know, we're going to be a fifty-one team. Maybe it's me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to play the victim card here. Uh, so I went to our strength coach. So I was like, I got to start lifting. I need to get stronger. I need to reshape my body. Not necessarily the the, the running part because I had that. It was more just about getting stronger, adding muscle. And so that I went back to Duke that summer. I did a whole, basically that sophomore year all over again, but now with really intensive weight training and, you know, came back in unbelievable shape. And that, and then, and that was just the rest of my career, you know, from that second year on, like I've just, just done the same thing. It's been the same routine. You tweak it here and there. We get smarter. The, the science improves. You figure out, oh, you know, what's eccentric loading versus concentric loading? And you, you what do I need to work on? What's going to make me more explosive? And then you you build out a program and you do it. But in terms of the work, the output, the output's just constant. And and again, like, I don't think Rex's generation of players had that knowledge. Like this, this, These resources were not available to them. And it's allowed guys like me, I'm not to their level, but, you know, Braun being in year 18, doing what he's doing, CP in year 16, doing what he's doing. Like this thing, this is unheard of. The consistency that these guys have to play at all NBA levels in their mid to late thirties is, is crazy. And, and a lot of it is the training and the, and the science and the health and wellness, you know, CP changing his diet and reshaping how he, how he, how he trains uh, two years ago was, was huge. Did you, you you um, must be so disciplined. You must be crazy disciplined and you must have a routine that is very important to you because we've never seen you fat off season. You come in and you couldn't play this long. You, you yeah. look the same. You look every yeah. year. You don't look like you've changed. Do you have an off season and in season just insane? Just you do every day routine. Yeah. I have my routines have routines. <laughs> <laughs> 
every time, no, every time. So I, so I, so Todd Wright, who's now with the Clippers, he's like their head of athletic performance. He was the strength coach in Philly with me and an assistant coach. And he, st- he started at Clemson with Rick Barnes. He went to UT. So when I was living in Austin, I had met Todd. Uh, this was, yeah. 2005 when we played them in Meadowlands and, and it was a you know number one versus number two so I met Todd then and we would run into each other here and there and then when I moved to Austin I was like Toddy can can you set me up with like you know training can I train with you he's like I, I can't do it right now but my business partner can it's the same same concept same program whatever so I started training with this guy Chris Braden so Chris kind of added in some things and then I got to Philly and and now I'm like this is year 12 now so like Toddy's like you know, can I, can I add a few things to your routine? You know, your pregame stuff, your post-practice stuff. I'm like, Toddy, here's the deal, man. (laughs) You can add some things, but I'm not taking anything out. Like that's the problem. So that, when I say my routines have routines, like, it's just like, crazy. like I got, I got this, this pregame routine to get my body. So I go, I go uh, 90 minutes on the clock. I'm in the training room till about 70 minutes on the clock. Then I got about a five minute break. What do I need to do? Do I need to text my wife? Is there a game on that I want to watch five minutes of? Whatever. Do I need a snack? Got five minute break. 65 on the clock. I'm in the weight room. I got about like a 15 minute routine in there, right? But even that, like I'm doing some of the same repetitive exercises is because I like one exercise and then a strength coach somewhere along the line has been like, you should do this. And I'm like, they're for the same thing, but I'm not taking anything out. I'm just adding on, whatever. So then at about 50 on the clock, I go out. I got a little dribbling routine. It takes like a minute and a half. And then I, I shoot my practice shots, my form shooting. And that takes literally as long as my shooting routine, because in the morning, I've already done my shooting routine for my game day shooting after shoot around. And if we don't have shoot around, I still go in and do it. And that's where I get the bulk of my game day shooting. My pre pregame routine is like, it takes six minutes, six minutes on the court. And then I'm ready to go. Um, I, I, Rex, were you like this at all? Like there was a, maybe a specific shot, like you had to make like in warmups, yeah. like I got to make my, my, you know, my, my one legged off my left foot fall away, whatever it may be like, you yeah. got to do this. Right. Yes. And if you missed it, what yes. would happen? Yeah. You got to do it. That mess you up, up. completely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I did, did you drive the Do you drive the same way to the arena every day? Same. Oh, if you play yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, look, this year was so different. No, this year was so different though. It was, and I, my buddy who works for the Spurs, we, we've known each other a long time. He worked with us in Orlando. Um, but like he, the whole season, he was like, man, he's like, I feel so bad for you because like, I know how our guys are like it, this season was a foreign and it was impossible to stick to routine because of all the protocols. Oh yeah. Um, it was just, it was just really hard. And, and, you know, because of some of the protocols, like, I would not even be able to get all my stuff in, but I would have been at the gym for six hours. And I'm like, I just need to go the fuck home and go to sleep at this point. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, there was the testing. Oh, you got to wait 30 minutes here. Oh, it came back inconclusive. You got to wait another, you know? So there was all these days where your shit gets fucked up and yeah, it threw me for a loop. It threw me for a loop. I, uh, (laughs) my first, my first game with the Pelicans, we were at Toronto. This was my first year there. Uh, we were at Toronto in Toronto and, um, Jamel McMillan, who's Nate's son, mm-hmm. Jamel like fucked up the timesheet for the shooting. <laughs> and it was, the, it was the day they were getting their rings. So my pregame shit's already messed up because we got we to gotta, like go out and then come back in for their ring ceremony. And then Griff wanted us out on the court for the ring ceremony. So I'm like, all right, 
whatever, just breathe. I got to get this done. So I'm in the training room and he comes in. And he's like, he's like, yo, why aren't you on the court? And I'm like, no, I go on the court at 45. And he's like, no, I got you down at whatever time it was 82. And I'm like, I lost my, and I love Jamel. He's my guy, but I fucking lost my mind on him. I felt so bad. I now obviously I apologized profusely after the game, but like, that's, it's like, I always talk about, we talk about control, right? If you're, yeah. if you have any sort of OCD, like Ray Allen has talked about this a bunch, but like your routine is the one thing you can control. So whether I go one for 10 or I go nine for 10, the next day I'm doing the same exact thing. I don't, Rex, I, guys I in your day, did anybody ever go out on the court and shoot after games if they didn't shoot well? Hell no. Oh, no, hell no. No. It's the weirdest no. thing to me. Yeah. Dude, you're, you're a head case if you're, I'm sorry, you're a head case if you're doing that. Just go the next day and do what you're supposed to do. Because there's going to be time in the morning, clear your head. It's just stick to the routine. The routine is what you can control. Well, this compulsiveness that, was it learned or was it innate? Were you, did you have things as a child or as you learned, obviously your routine wasn't there, yeah. but did you, were you like this as a kid? Were you born with it? Yes. Uh, and it, it bleeds into other areas of my life. Uh, some positive, some negative. Um, you know, I, my mom used to come in my room. I, I was always very organized as a kid. And so I, I had my toys or, organized. I would organize my shoes in the closet. I would line them up. Um, if you go upstairs to my closet right now, you know, everything's in order of type by color going from light to darkness. <laughs> um, it's just, that's how I am. Um, and in terms of the sports side of it, like this is why I fell in love with sports. Because I could go in the back. I, home, I was homeschooled uh, in, uh, through fifth grade. And I did, then I did fifth grade public school because I was so young. But I, I, you know, I was homeschooled. So I would do my work in the morning. And then I could go outside by myself. I could be alone. And I could shoot a basketball in a hoop. I could do that over and over again. We had a little, uh, we had a little like garage shed. And at the bottom of it was, uh, was a concrete uh, foundation. And if you sort of walked up the hill, it was like pitching off a mound. So I, I would draw a square there. And I was pretty accurate, so I wasn't hitting the sideboard of the of the I'm shed, sure. but I was just I was just drilling that concrete over and over again by myself, and it just wow. it was like that 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 just routine of just doing that over and over again, and that's that's ultimately like I think why I fell in love with those sports, and now I'm dealing with that with golf, and golf's the hardest sport, especially later in life, to pick up and learn. Yeah, but it's. Like I, I just enjoy, like I enjoy going to the driving range or the short game area and just like chipping and putting for 45 minutes. And it's just, it, wow. it's soothing. It, it relaxes me. I just love it. I love it. Well, so some people, it's, it's a gift or a curse depending on, you know, your situation, but it sounds like it was a gift to you. Like your hand, eye was a gift and your athleticism, you had to work on it, but it sounds like this, would you have made the league if your mind didn't work like that? No, no. And I, I would say that's true. I would say that's true for maybe not, maybe not the, the exact way my brain works, but I would say that's true for most guys in the NBA because there's so many guys that are super talented that maybe get drafted or maybe are highly ranked coming out of high school because of their physical gifts but to last in the NBA, you have to have the mental side. The mental side is the is the is the is the more important side to me. Like if I'm if I'm uh, an executive of a team, like physical traits aside, like I whatever. If I'm trying to draft in the top three, this changes things. But if I've got the 27th pick, or I've got the 32nd pick in the draft, 
All I care about is the guy tough. Does he love basketball? And is he smart? I could give two fucks about anything else. I don't care. Like, give me a TJ McConnell. Give me a TJ. Yeah, I, 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 I've said this before. Day. I was beg. I was begging the Clippers to draft Brogdon. Now he had some medical red flags, but like right. we passed him up twice. Yeah, we passed him up twice. Then he got Rookie of the Year. You know, so like, give me, give me those guys. You know, um, and look, you know, to win, obviously, you need, you need a LeBron, you need an Anthony Davis, a Jimmy Butler. A Giannis, you need one or two horses for sure. But um, you know, I, I, I like just I, I'm betting on guys like T.J. McConnell, competitive, Agreed. smart, and loves basketball. Agreed, J.J. You had you had one of the one of the most amazing college uh, careers uh, in history, literally. Um, you stayed four years. Um, the guys that you were in the McDonald's game with, most of those guys, many of those guys left early. You had a, a, you said, kind of a rough sophomore year, came back, crushed it as a junior. Any thought to leaving school after your junior year at all? There was. There was okay. like a three-day period. So okay. So we, we lost uh, in Austin to Michigan State in the Sweet 16. Uh Coach and I had this amazing moment in the hotel afterwards, um, you know, and, and really that year was the start of our lifelong friendship where he wasn't just my coach anymore. He was my friend. And that went all the way back to that meeting in May, but that whole year was like me and him were like this. And we had this amazing moment afterwards. And um, I went to the wooden two weekends. So I went to the final four the next weekend for the Naismith and all that stuff. Um, I think I won the Rupp that year. So I went, I went, won the Rupp, was second to Naismith. And then the following weekend was the Wooden out in LA. And by this time, you know, Final Fours happened. Guys are starting to meet with agents, sign with agents, whatever you want to call it. And Sean May was out there and he was meeting with an agent. And I happened to have lunch with the agent and him. And then I, like, I, I left lunch and I kind of went to my dad and I was like, what am I doing? Like, should I be talking to people? Should I be thinking about this? Um, Arn, who I ended up signing with a year later, was like at the event, but never reached out to me to like, hey, do you want to talk? Like I, people just stayed away from me. It was great. I mean, yeah, I, I got weird. I had never had to deal with shit in college, never had to deal with any agents, never had to deal with any hangers on. Like, but, you know, if had Arn maybe communicated through a back channel, like I want to meet with JJ, I want to talk to JJ, like there's a chance I would have considered. The one thing is, and Sheldon is a big reason he came back too, is we hadn't won. So I had I not been a knucklehead my sophomore year, and we had won when we should have. That was the best team I played on at Duke. We had Dick. six NBA guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Asshole. But had we won that, that sophomore year, then I, I, I probably would have given it more thought uh, than those maybe two, three days that I did. Um, I also got – well, not, that's too much, but – I also got, well, I got, I got no. tagged. I got tagged the following week to be in the secret society at Duke. So then I was like, ah, maybe I will go back for my senior year. <laughs> <laughs> How secret? How secret was it? Do tell. No, there's nothing. I Show I, us the handshake. He can't do it. He can't, can't do, do it. it. I can't, uh, he can't do it. Well, every now and then, you... every now and then though, I'll be at a game. And uh, there, we, there's a, there, we, we have like a little thing. We, we, we say that we, we, we kind of acknowledge each other's existence when we're out in the public, a little, little phrase. <laughs> And I'll look over in the stands and then somebody will give me the signal, you know, they'll give me the signal. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. I like Some Illuminati. That's shit, so awesome. I know. Yeah. No wonder you don't age. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
He's no wonder lost. everyone hates uh, Duke. There's a picture Duke of thing. him from the yeah. 1920s, you know, and it's him <laughs> dancing the jig. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of Duke, I don't want to stay on it too long, but the Duke uh, villain, the Duke, usually a white guy villain, everybody decides to hate. I think it's uh, everybody wine and cheese Duke place and you know, given so much and, but you handled it. You, you seemed to love it. You, you were a bit of a showman with it. It seemed to power you. And, and I want to hear about that. And I want to know, do you know any of them that happened to that? It really bothered them. Like mm. it, they didn't handle it well. And, but they were the, they were the chosen villain. I, I would say for all of us, uh, to some extent, uh, being the villain at Duke required some therapy (laughs) in some way, in some way. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I can speak to my own experience. Like I had to start seeing someone uh, during my freshman year. Um, And you know, you're, you're, you're at your 18. My dream is to play Duke. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Yeah. I go, I go to my first road game at Clemson and I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is not what I signed (laughs) up for. (laughs) Not what I signed up for. I'm 18. I got, I have, I have, uh, you know, shoulder acting. And uh, we go to UVA and they've got these makeshift Duke four jerseys and painted red dots all over their shoulders. You know? and, and I'm like, I'm, again, I'm 18. I'm, I'm sensitive. sensitive. I'm, 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 you know, whatever. So I, I think, I think my choice was, and I don't know if it happened right at Clemson, but at some point in my freshman year, my choice was just like, like, they're going to come at me regardless. I, I I'm, I'm just going to embrace it. And I did. And I embraced it. And some of it was, some of it was playing a role, and uh, and yeah. to, to, you know I, when I watch Trey Young, I feel like he does that a little bit. Like, yes, but it's it's you're on stage, you're performing, yeah. and it's part yeah. of, it's part of the performance art, right? Is it really is is. Uh, is just playing this role of the villain and the troll, and yeah, I enjoyed it. The, the one the one incident my my sophomore year, <laughs> we were playing at Maryland in a nationally televised ESPN game, and. A little backstory, you know, the, the, the crowd at the end of the game, I was shooting free throws. I had a really good game, but I was shooting free throws and the, ch- the whole crowd was chanting, fuck you, JJ, fuck you, JJ, fuck you, JJ, right? And uh, the mics on ESPN caught it. And then there was like this whole thing with like the attorney general of Maryland and Gary Williams yeah. having to make all these statements. The backstory that was, uh, I can't remember his name, but the, the, the Ravens owner uh, would always come to the Duke Maryland games and he was sitting courtside and he would yap. He was just a yapper, you know? And... <laughs> And so I started yapping back at him in the first half. And, you know, if you watch some of that game, like my body language, you're kind of like, I hate that JJ guy. Like that guy's a douche. You know what I mean? So I definitely brought this on myself even more than, uh, than I could. If I had just like, you know, went into submission and just kept my mouth shut. I I think eventually like it would have like reached like a, like a, like a, like a status quo. This is yeah. the level of animosity I have to deal with, but I just kind of, yeah. I just threw gasoline on the fire and uh, yeah, it was great. It made it worse. It, it made it worse. It thr- Do you remember anything someone saying to you? Because it's all usually cliche, dumb shit. Like fuck you. You're. Do you remember someone saying anything and you being like, oh, that, that was that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You remember one of those? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it wasn't that clever i wish it was <laughs> a lot of it was a lot of it was like 
you suck. Uh, you, you're, you're something about coach K and me's relationship. People started, you know, a lot, I've talked about this a lot. People started bringing my, like my, my mom and my sister, I have three sisters. They started, bring, oh, I was, do, I was doing this with your sister last night. I just be like, all right, dude, you're, you're yeah. a child. But um, the one that I always talk about that, that I loved, I, same game at Maryland. There were two, there were two sort of things that stick out. So there was a sign. And by the way, that's that off season, I had been in a dorm room and the cops had come and, and, you know, people had been smoking. Um, I'm going to plead the okay. fifth on this one, but uh, so there was like references to the bongs or whatever uh, you know, on yeah. these signs. And I was like, oh, okay, I kind of expected that. And then I saw one sign and it said, JJ drinks his own pee. And I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> I like the random, that. The random. Yeah, the so random. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. And, then, and then there yeah. was this group of students who were sitting right behind uh, where I, I think Dick Vitale and Mike Patrick were doing the game. I, I can't remember for certain, but I think they were doing the game. So there's a group of students sitting behind them right at center court. They were front row of the student section. And I noticed during warmups, I was like, yo, those guys, they're Maryland in the Maryland student section, but they got my picture. My picture's on the shirt. So I kind of walked over and I was kind of like checking out what the shirt said. And the shirt said, uh, when I grow up, I want to name my kid JJ Reddick. But then on the back, it said, and beat him every day. Okay. 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 All right. Wow. That did. I mean, had a whole shirt printed up for it. Yeah. Wow. Good lord. So were, were there any guys you know that? that it really bothered worse, you know, the most at Duke. It, it, it hindered I, I, their game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to make excuses for some of his actions, but I, I, I know, you know, Grayson, you know, from sophomore year on, like that was a hard, that was a hard thing to yeah. go through for him. Um, yeah. And, you know, you saw, you saw it kind of culminate with, with uh, I can't remember which game it was. I think it was at Greensboro Coliseum or whatever. I think they were playing Elon or something. And, and you know, he went was at the bench and you just, you just see the emotion, uh, the frustration yeah. of yeah. it just kind of come out. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to, you have to have thick skin, but you, you, you have to have an avenue to sort of talk about that and talk through it because if you, it just allows you to bottle it up. Right. Uh, it, it's too much. And, you know, again, I go back to being an 18 or 19 year old kid, like, I grew up in the woods. I didn't have neighbors, right? I played big games, but like I'm a, I'm a small town kid and I was not prepared for the fishbowl. And at the time it felt like a bigger deal than it probably is. But at the time Duke basketball felt like the biggest thing in the world to me because it was, it was all I'd ever known. And, and so it felt so big and so important. And between the pressure of playing at Duke and then the, having to deal with all that stuff, yeah, I wasn't perfect. I made some mistakes, and yeah. you know, I, I I had to I had to sort of grow through that. Interesting. Uh, JJ Suns Bucks. Who 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 you got? Suns Bucks Finals. And how weird is this? And how great is it's it? It's so great. It's so great. You know, I, I it's I, I said this I said this the other day, but we heard for like five years everybody complaining about the lack of parity in the NBA when it was Warriors versus uh, Cleveland and everybody's complaining. And then this year we get a lot of parity and everybody's complaining. We don't have enough superstars. Where's the big markets? You know, it's just like people aren't crazy. Happy. The playoffs have been phenomenal. Even without some star players missing time, the playoffs have been phenomenal. To, to talk about this series, I think it's like what, how healthy is Giannis, right? I think that's the, the biggest sort of what if. Um, 
I said this, I want to say in the first round, but I really, I believe this. Like I think Phoenix has the most complete team in the NBA. And I also, I, I played for Monty. So Monty was our lead assistant my second year in Philly. And I know Chris and I played with Chris for four years, the level of attention to detail and, uh, and just drilling and going over every situation like that play where Jay Crowder threw it into DeAndre Ayton with point, whatever on the clock, point eight, point nine, whatever it ended up being. I can guarantee you Monty Williams has practiced that dozens of times and they maybe only ran it once. That's the attention to detail you get from Monty. And obviously Chris is the same way. And you've seen the impact that's had on a guy like DeAndre Ayton. D book is just, he's, he's, he's like Kobe mini, mini Kobe, you know, he's just his own, his own superstar in his own way. But, uh, I think the impact he's had on DeAndre has been huge. Uh, Mikel Bridges, it's been huge. So I, I um, campaign, obviously. Um, I like Phoenix in the series, but it's hard for me, Rex, because yeah. CP and Drew are two of my best friends, you know, and, it, and they're going against each other. And I, I want so badly oh. for both of them to win a championship. So it's yeah. I, I, I can't say I'm going to root for one team or the other. But I, I, I will say from the, from the jump, I, I thought Phoenix has the most complete team. So who do you like more though? You've got to choose between those two. Who's your best friend? No, um, <laughs> you got to say it now. Three, two, one. Who do you one, like better? Say it. Which one? <laughs> Three, two, one. Say it. Say it. Let me let me check. Let me check. Let me check my most recent missed calls and calls. Right. And I'll tell you who maybe is closer. <laughs> you know, one thing I think's been so interesting about your entire career. I mean, 2006 when you came in. I mean. Jason Kidd was in the league, Yao Ming, uh, some of these guys. And now you've seen him, you know, Kidd, it's coach and executives. Elton Brand was in the league. And you kind of, instead of watching it, the evolution, of, you played the evolution of the game. You saw the full evolution go from, you know, basketball the way we knew it to four out and one in and how it all changed, but the pick and roll and whatnot. Um, what's was there a moment where you're like, holy shit, everything's different? Or it was obviously a little gradual. Um, I think and- it was, I think it was more, it was more gradual than sudden. So I'll, I'll point to three things, but I want to tell one story real quick. So my first training camp was in, I think, Jacksonville. We were in Ponte Vedra with Orlando Magic at the University of North Florida. And I think it was our first practice. It was definitely one of the first two days. We're running that that stupid uh, three-on-two, two-on-one drill to yep, start practice. Yep. So you go three-on-two, whoever shoots the ball gets back as the defenders. Those two defenders come down two-on-one, whatever. So I'm one of the two defenders. You know, shot goes up. We get the ball. We're going down two-on-one. And uh, <laughs> Carlos Arroyos just passed ahead to me, and I was I ran to the three-point line because I'd seen Pages Soyakovich do it, and this is how I played at Duke. <laughs> I ran a three-point line, caught the ball, went up, shot it, swish, whatever. Bride Hill stops practice. What the fuck? Don't ever fucking take that shot. You know, that, that we're running, we're running this for layups. We want layups. We want layups. And now if you watch the NBA, every yeah. guy just yeah. runs to the three-point line. It's a four-on-one. I mean, people used to make fun of me when I was at Duke, and I'd like, we'd have a four-on-one, five-on-one, and I'd I'd have the ball and I'd dribble up and shoot a three. And I'm like, well, you know. I, I, do I don't that. know what the percentages are, but like if the right guy's taking the shot, nah, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, the, the three yeah. gradual things. I think, I think Phoenix 
you know, the, the D'Antoni's right. Suns right. team, right. which it's crazy. But if we look at their pace and the amount of threes they took, it'd be like last in the league right now. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, I think the magic thing that we had, which was a pure accident because Tony Batie had hurt his shoulder. We, so we started Richard at the four because Turk was too lazy to play the four. Um, <laughs> that's actually true. And, and I, I know it is. <laughs> uh, uh, so that was like one thing. And we had some success with that. Oh, Dwight, we have a monster, you know, mm. rim runner going to the rim heart. We got four shooters outside. So that concept kind of like was ingrained from those two teams. Uh, and then, the, and then the last thing I think is just the combination of Steph and clay, right. And the success the warriors have had and then uh and then what daryl morey did in, in houston which was building yeah. an entire infrastructure system all the way down to the g league of we're gonna shoot as many threes as possible um and some of that i think you know we like that's one end of the pendulum and one end of the spectrum like we've swung back a little bit um but like if you can generate good good open threes and you can generate uh as many rim chances as possible uh that's a pretty good offensive concept what i think we've seen in the playoffs is that when it comes time for the playoffs what you need is one or two guys that can get to their spots in the mid-range and create offense that way mm. um because a lot of the, the stuff that works in an 82 game season to generate those layups and to generate those open threes they just don't work in the playoffs as well and so you need guys who can play out of the pick and roll get to their spots and, sh and obviously you know we got Chris Middleton, Drew, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Both teams have those those guys that can do that. What about uh, defensively? How's it changed for you? It was we've asked players and, and Rex how they would do in today's game. Obviously, Rex would be fantastic in today's game where yeah, you just, okay. you're supposed to shoot. You pull the bigs from the rim. He could go around. We asked Steve Kerr about it because he was you know 45 percent shooter what it and he had an interesting answer he was like yeah but you know I was always kind of a liability on defense but I could kind of pick my spots and do my thing but today the, trying to guard on the pick and roll and he was like I'd have to switch off what would I do with Donovan Mitchell what, what yeah. am I so defensively yeah how has that changed for you well I think you know when I first got in the, in the game we were still in a lot of like iso iso basketball um, you know, I would, I would come in the game to guard Steven Jackson or Joe Johnson and they just clear out a side and yeah. might have to try to get a stop, you know? Um, then it, then it was more just like you guard your position. So then there was like 10 years where you just like, you guard your position and, you know, maybe game to game, you make similar adjustments. But like when I was in the Clippers, you know, I guarded my position. Um, and then, you know, in the last few years, like everything's a lot of things are switch heavy defenses. And so, you know, I think that's where, on certain teams, like I've switched a lot, like a couple of years there in Philly, I was switching a lot. And then at my request, when I first got to New Orleans, I was kind of like, hey, you know, like against certain matchups, I'm cool showing guys. I'm cool <laughs> yeah. showing. If they try to target me, like, and I'm get just back. Gonna show and get back, you know, high hands. Like, um, you know, it's like I, I, I had a, I think I had a good run there for six or seven years where like defensively I was sound. I'm never going to be a lockdown defender, but uh, you know, defensively, I was sound. I, 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 you could you could put me as a starter on a top five defense because I've done that yep. numerous times in my career. Um, but you know, I, I, as you get older, like your limitations defensively, like even offensively, like I'm not creating as much separation. I'm just I'm just 
as skilled as I've ever been is what it comes down to, you know? So like, as long as I can get my shot off, I'm going to make it, you know, yeah. it's, it's, but it's, you're not getting the same separation, the same separation off pins, the same separations off the step back. You're just not like I'm 37. Like I've, I've, yeah. I've done it as, as much as best I could, but uh, that's sort of the, the adjustment you make. You try to win a little bit with your mind and your skill more so than your body as you get older. What do you want to do afterwards, JJ? You play another three or four years or five years or whatever. What happens? Uh, what happens then? What do you want to do then? Um, whenever Basketball? it is, whenever it is, I want to take some time off okay. and and be a dad and uh, get down to like a five handicap you go. in golf. Uh, travel a little bit, spend some time uh, with my wife because we haven't really, you know, we. It's like we haven't really lived together, yeah. you know, for four years with me commuting back and forth. Uh, when I was playing in Philly, uh, we had, you know, Kai, my youngest, we had him my, my, uh, my last year in L.A. So it's been like, you know, it's been like five years of just like yeah. kind of chaos in the household. And so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, whatever it is, I'm looking forward to just spending time with my family. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I don't want to commit to anything, Rex. Like, yeah. I don't want to say, like, yeah. I want to coach or I want to be in the front office or I want to do TV uh, or I want to do something outside of basketball. Like, I, I kind of want to let that process happen organically. And one of the things I've already started doing is I've already started chatting with folks just to provide. Yeah. Like I, I chatted with Kerr the other day for 45 minutes you know, about, <laughs> about some post-retirement post, uh, stuff and, and what it looks like. And, you know, I'm starting to think about those things. I, I have no choice. I have to. Uh, I have to, it's good. as we've mentioned, uh, but no, it's, uh, I, I'm excited whenever the next step is, whenever the next you know phase of my life is, I'm excited because I'm in a position where I've got, I've got a great family and uh, I got enough interest outside of basketball that I think I'll be all right. But yeah. as you know, like that void, like you, dude, yeah. I, when I was, when I was sitting in the playoffs, watching those games this year, watching, you know, the Dallas Clippers series, I was dying. I mean, I bet. that's why we play. That's yeah. why we play to compete at that level in, in that environment. And um, I think some of this year was, was part of the frustration, I think was like playing in empty arenas. It was just, oh, yeah. it was such a novelty in the bubble and they, they did a good job of kind of like making it feel like a Broadway stage, but then like you get in these empty arenas and you're kind of like, man, this, this is, this is different. I don't enjoy yeah. this as much. I kept, I don't enjoy it. I kept, I kept worrying about that. I mean, the bubble, I, I know it was, it, it had some terrific as aspects but as the see this season wore on, I was just like, oh my God. People people would ask, what what do you think the players are experiencing out there? I was like, the young guys may it, they may not affect them as much. The older guys who've been doing this a long time that know it is entertainment, yeah. you know, the, the they feed off the crowd. Yeah. And the crowd feeds off of them. I can only imagine how what a mind fuck it was for many of you guys. It was. And even when there was crowds, you know, for most of the series, there was nobody close to the court. Like I, right. those interactions you have with the, the patrons that have ponied up, you know, to, to sit there or, you know, you run through the tunnel at the end of the game and you're high-fiving everybody by the tunnel. Like, yeah, it's, oh. that's, 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 that's the feels, man. That's the feels. Right. That's what we, uh, that's what we enjoy doing. I, I love that you call it, you know, you know just the per performance of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's all part of it. Like the fans, the fans are as much a part of the game as anything else. And to like not have them in it, it didn't, it didn't feel like the game. It didn't feel yeah. like the game yeah. that I love, you know? Yeah. It's like Pat Bev. You know, I, I, I can't stand watching him play a lot of the time. <laughs> but he plays a great villain. 
Yes. And and uh, sitting courtside watching him last week. Oh, you just hate him uh, if you're the opposing team. But he's talking to the crowd in the front row. He's talking to people. You yeah. can't do that if there's no people there. And no. so it, it detracts from his game. It does. Um, I, it, like it's it's part of you're part of like a guy like him. It's like it's part of your persona on the court. It's yes. part of your it's part of your character. It's how you get into character to go compete. Like I, here's here's the things we all have a checklist. Here's the things I need to do to be able to play at a high level. And you're taking away yeah. one of his his character traits. It's hard. It's well, hard. that's interesting. Even talk about Pat Beverly because he, even him more than others. That's why he's in the league. Yeah. He doesn't come with some super skill. His skill is get up in you, make you uncomfortable. And that's right. he's, he, that's his skill. So to take that away from him, uh, the push in the back of the night, it's Ow. like off, but I'm like, that's what you've got to get the good and bad. You're going to get that with a guy who's like placed him. with that emotion. Yeah. Yep. The, the, the push aside, the, the push aside, I actually thought he was, he was great in that Phoenix series and, and agree. He didn't play a lot in our series uh, with the Mavs, um, you know, so, you know, credit to him for just like staying in shape, being ready. And then all of a sudden he comes in, I, I think it was, I think it was game two where he just like, he harassed the shit out of Devin and, and made shots. you know, yeah. And, and made shots. And he, look, he does all this stuff and he's an aggravator, but he's also a 40% three point shooter. Like he also fills a role yeah. on the other side of the floor as well. Um, I, you know, I think he's got he's got an incredible value because of that. Um, guys, where are we, where yep. are we with time on this? Because we I got do have to, two yeah. things to say. Yeah, uh, okay. What's your favorite movie? Okay. What's your favorite movie? Oh, what is my favorite movie? Uh-huh. Rex, you follow me on Twitter. You should know. What I know. No, I know what it is. But go. <laughs> what's your favorite Inter- movie? Interstellar. Interstellar is my favorite movie. It's the greatest movie ever created. Uh, I could go into all the reasons why. Go into all the reasons why. But I would just no, say this: Interstellar is the, I think, the greatest combination of uh, storytelling, visual effects, and a soundtrack that I've ever come across, right? And Christopher Nolan, he's, he's a master at, at making amazing movies. I think Interstellar is his best movie. And I think, it's the, yeah, I think it's the best movie ever. Have you guys seen Tenet, by the way? His newest movie, yes. Tenet? Mm-hmm. How many times did you watch it? I only watched it once. Okay, because this is what I, I think. I'm I, not I, sure. I watch it twice. I'm not sure. I had okay. a friend who hadn't seen it. I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. yeah so here's, I, I, here's how it, I approach. It's over my head. Here's how I approach. This is this is just the way I, I operate. But here, so I watched it once, and then I watched it again, and then I, I watched some YouTube videos, and I watched it a third and fourth time, and then I spent some time on Reddit, and then I watched it a fifth time. And then for my own personal enjoyment, I watched it sixth and seventh time once I knew what the fuck was going on. <laughs> But I loved it. On my first watch, I was like, oh, it's like that first that first scene in all his movies where there's like the music building and there's not a lot of dialogue and there's some sort of heist. Right. There's some sort of there's some sort of build up to some sort of action heist. And you're like, you're just waiting for it. And then like then they start the story. But that first scene of Tenet, like I was I was all in after that first scene. All right. Second question. What do you guys got? What do you guys got? What do you got, Josh? Okay, uh, front row center. You got to any concert speaker, front row center, dead or alive. Ooh. Ooh, wow. 
Man, I would, I would love, here's, I would love to be front row uh, in Asbury Park in the early 1970s at a, what was the, what's the name of the place in Asbury Park, Rex? You probably know it. I don't like the know. white pony. Oh, or something. oh yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Where, I know Springs exactly where Springsteen was yeah. basically discovered. Yeah. I'd, I'd be front row early Springsteen. Give me 1970. I think the greetings from Asbury Park came out in 73. So say 1972. Yeah. I'm going to be there. I would also say like, I, when I think about my own life and like trying to, I was a history major at Duke. And you, you try to think about like what moments from my lifetime are super important in the grand scheme of history. And like, I would love to have been like in Grant Park in 2008 when, when Obama was elected. Like that's a moment in yeah. my lifetime that I, I didn't, I, you know, I was in season, whatever we were playing, but uh, that's a moment that for sure I'd like to revisit. Last question. Sorry. One three pointer uh -huh. to save the world. One, one three. three. There's a comet coming. And if one guy, if he makes it, we're all okay. If he misses nothing. Is it you? No, it's not me. I'm actually, so the, the natural choice would be Steph Curry, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say Clay Thompson, because I'll tell you why. Comet's coming, all of humanity rests on you. Any normal human being would feel some sort of pressure. Clay is just so stoned. He's just like, whatever, I'm just going to shoot the ball. Like, no, he doesn't see anything coming, any, any outside noise, no, no care. He'll show up in flip flops. You know, come off his boat out of the San Francisco Bay, show up in flip flops, stroke, you know, stroke a three and then walk away. Like that's just great answer. That's Clay. <laughs> great answer. Thank you. All right, JJ. Thanks, buddy. Uh, All right. I'll be talking to you. We got to do it again. Let's do it again. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you. See ya. Well, that's JJ, Josh. What do you think, bud? It's a, it's a fantastic. Got right? guy. He's a great communicator. He he needs to have his own podcast, right? He's, he really does. Somebody should talk he's, to him. He's got that. a big future in media if he wants to. Oh, he, well, I was just sitting, the more I talked to him, the, the I did his pod a couple of months ago, or maybe six months ago. Um, the more I talked to him, the the worse I feel about myself. You know, <laughs> he said he said he's yeah, with us. Yeah. Uh -huh. he, a history major who took his academics very seriously. Mm -hmm. Not something I did. Um, <laughs> well, he was four so, years. You were out. Yeah. He's already doing stuff to prepare for when he finishes playing something. I, right, I never, right. it never occurred to <laughs> right. me. Um, and, and, he, and I'm envious too. He got to stay, he stayed in school four years. I mean, what, a, and loved it. Loved it. And, and a experience. minor in cultural anthropology. Come on, man. I mean, I don't even know what that means. Is, yeah, he's going to be a bigger star, maybe, post playing than he has been playing, and that's that's saying something. And now he's he pretty owns damn good. his podcast yeah. and his own podcast. I mean, yeah, I'm not worried about JJ. No, I'm not either. And you can kind of tell, man, he's he is torn between Drew Holiday and Chris Paul, two of his buddies. Yeah, oh, awesome. What a what a what an interesting dude and josh next week episode 20 we should do this again want to i'd love to let's do it next week on the rex chapman show with super josh hopkins powered by basketballnews.com we'll see you then <laughs>